Well, this morning we are blessed to have um, Pastor Bob Sorge with us again. We had such an incredible time last night. Such a powerful word. Um, man, Bob, what was the book last night that Bob spoke from? The, the Next Wave? That, that one, man, grab that one. It's so beautiful. Um, just such a good message if you missed it. Pastor Bob, you want to come for us? He's been so, um, we said last night, just such a sincere, humble voice in the, in the body of Christ. And his books have marked me and marked Seth, marked our leadership. So if you haven't read him, you need to read him today. And the books are in the lobby. We love you. Thank you for being here. Speak. When this happened, I could no longer pastor my church. 
sorrows and sorrow and grief. There's a narrative that would suggest that he's not so good. And the Lord wants to change our glasses, our perspective on his workings in our lives. Because when you see it through his glasses, you go, you are good. And your mercies endure forever. So I invite you to pray right now. The title of my message, it's a prayer to the Lord. Just say, Jesus, change my glasses. May the Lord fulfill that prayer for you today. May there be grace today to hear and receive the word of the Lord. Jesus' name we pray. Has anyone here ever had your kids rewrite a narrative? <clears throat> we had a thing in our family one time, and when my kids were telling the story again, they're like, yeah, you deprived us in that whole thing. And I'm like, you need another perspective on that story. We weren't depriving you. We were protecting you. And now we filled them in on stuff they didn't. They're like, we didn't know that. Well, of course you didn't know that. We were the parents. You were the kids. We weren't going to tell you everything. But because they didn't have all the information and because they were immature, they had crafted their own narrative on the thing. And this is kind of what we do with the Lord in our immaturity. We're children, we're immature, we're unbelieving, and we craft a narrative on things sometimes that is not God's narrative. It is impossible for unbelief to have the right narrative. Unbelief is going to change and rewrite the narrative every time because if we're to see what God is doing in our lives and in our generation, we need our glasses changed. We need to see our lives with eyes of faith. And this is what I'm asking the Lord to give us today. To see with eyes of faith what he is doing in our lives. Unbelief always changes the narrative. Let me just give you a Bible story to illustrate that. When Moses and the people of Israel came to the land of Canaan, their promised land, Moses sent out 12 spies to check out the land. And 10 of them came back with an evil report, and two of them came back with a good report. Caleb and Joshua came back with a good report, and the other 10 had an evil report. Our scripture is Numbers 1332. Oh, they've got it for the screen. Beautiful. And they gave the children of Israel a 
Why would they say that the land devours its inhabitants? Well, because when they were spying out the land of Canaan, they saw all these funerals taking place. Why is everybody dying in this country? Young men in their prime are being buried. What is going on? The ten in unbelief go, this is a hostile land. This is a bad country. It devours its inhabitants. Caleb and Joshua are looking at the exact same thing, but they're seeing it with different glasses. They are looking at it through eyes of faith. And Caleb and Joshua go, God is fighting for us. God has gone before us. Remember he said he would do this. Remember he said that he would chase them with hornets. Remember he said that he would cut them off. God is fulfilling his promises. He has gone before us. He is already weakening their military. He is thinning their ranks. And Caleb and Joshua are looking at it going, this is fantastic. God is fighting for us. The are looking at it and going, this is horrible. We are set up for catastrophe. This is a land that devours its inhabitants. They were all looking at the exact same thing. Unbelief saw it as horrible and faith saw it as fantastic. The ten go, God is against us. The two go, God is for us. The ten go, this is terrible. And the two go, it's tremendous what God is bringing us into because they had eyes of faith to see what God is doing. May God give you new classes today. May you see what he's doing in your family with eyes of faith because of my eyes of unbelief are going to totally rewrite that narrative, get you discouraged, but eyes of faith are going to see what God is doing in your family, in your finances, in your health, and in your situations of life. When you're suffering, there's two narratives happening. When you're struggling, when you're in a fiery trial, 31 years in my case, I want to go to the cross to illustrate this. Because when Jesus was on the cross, there were two narratives going on. There's the narrative of the devil. There's the narrative of Pilate. There's the narrative of the chief priests. And then there's the narrative of God. And if you're going to do the cross, Jesus, you have got to have the right glasses on. You have got to see what is happening in your life through eyes of faith. And the real narrative was from God's perspective and eternal 
eternal perspective on the cross. I want, I want to take you to where God expressed his eternal perspective on the cross. It's Genesis 3.15. God spoke these words millennia before the cross. He's talking to Satan and he says to the serpent, he says, he, that is Jesus, shall bruise your head and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. So this is God's perspective way before the cross ever happened. God's eternal perspective on the cross. He says to the devil, he's going to bruise your head and you will bruise Jesus' heel. When Jesus was on the cross with nails in his hands, nails in his feet, with bolts of electricity flashing through his body, I promise you, in that moment, it did not feel like a bruising of his heel. It felt like a crushing of every molecule in his being because actually (laughs) that's what it was. And if he didn't have the right glasses on, he would not be able to endure through the intensity of his cross. So he goes to Gethsemane to get his glasses on, goes to a place of prayer so that he can do the cross with the Father's perspective. And if we could talk to Jesus today about his cross, I think he would talk, I think he would speak of it something like this. That was intense. I really took it in the heel. But my enemy has been bloodied in the head. And I believe that God wants to give you the same perspective on your warfare. Because when you're in the vortex of a trial, when you're on your cross, when you're in your fiery trial, when all of hell is against you, it can feel like everything is against me. This thing is coming down. My life is over. I'm being crushed. But God has a different perspective. God has an eternal perspective on your trial. And if we can get our glasses changed and see what God is doing in our circumstances, endure in faith and come all the way through. I'm going to prophesy over the trial that is crushing you today. I want to prophesy over your life and say, one of these days, you are going to say something like this. That was intense. I really took it in the heel. But 
has been bloodied in the head. I am suggesting that God wants to use the crushing trial that you are in right now to train you to become a mighty woman of faith, a mighty warrior, a soldier in the army of God, one of David's mighty men. He wants to equip you and train you so that you can lay a blow to the head of your adversary. Actually, I pray this all the time. I say it to the Lord regularly, Jesus, teach me how to lay a blow to the head of my adversary. He hit me pretty hard. And I want him to regret the day. I'm telling you, he regrets the day he took Jesus on at the cross because that thing backfired big on him. And geez, he, yes, Jesus took it in the heel, but the devil took it in the head. To bruise Satan's head, Jesus had to go into enemy turf. To take on hell, he had to go to hell. To take on death, he had to die and descend to the chambers of death. And to overcome Sheol, he had to descend to Sheol. That's why you're in this pit right now. That's why you're in this dark tunnel right now. That's why you're fighting with demons right now. Because God is taking you on a journey where you're going to take on the devil on his territory. And when Jesus came from the depths of the grave, he said, I came out with the keys. And when he says, I've got the keys of Hades and of death, he means I now own all the keys. These were the last ones to be taken, and I had to I had to meet him on his turf. I had to overcome the devil in the middle of Sheol. And he resurrected our champion, holding the keys of hell and of the of death. There are some keys you have to have nail-scarred hands to handle. And sometimes God will take you through a journey. There will be scars in the process, but he's going to give you keys of authority that you can use for his purpose. Never relent until you hold in your hand the keys that he wants to give you through your trial. At the cross, Jesus and the devil went after it, went at it. And they were both of them aiming for the head. Satan hit the heel. Jesus made his mark. So if you want to learn spiritual warfare, don't go to the adversary. He's not that good. Go to your champion. Go to Jesus Christ. He'll take you on. 
God. When I look at the cross, anybody ever watched the movie The Passion of the Christ? You've seen that movie? Or maybe you've seen movies that are similar. Whenever I picture the cross of Jesus, I'm looking, he's got blood here, he's got blood here, he's got blood here, there's blood here, there's blood here, there's blood here, there's blood on his back, there's blood on his legs, there's blood on his feet. It's a spectacle of blood. Listen, Satan was more bloodied by the cross than Jesus Christ. Jesus was wounded by the cross. Satan was destroyed by the cross. And I'm suggesting that we follow in Jesus' steps and engage in the warfare just like he did. Epic battles come at a price. Anybody in the room want to do damage to the kingdom of darkness? I got any friends in the house. If you want to do damage to the kingdom of darkness, you just might take it in the heel. If Jesus couldn't defeat Satan without incurring scars, what makes me think I can? If I have no scars... Was I even in the battle? But our scars become emblems of our victory, tokens of grace, emblems of our intimacy with Jesus. They're the stripes that we earn to become a general in the kingdom of God. We need some lieutenants and some generals and some captains in the army of God that have taken on the devil, have come through the battle, have earned their stripes. They've got some scars to prove it. And now they are trophies of grace. They took it in the heel, but they have bloodied the head of the adversary. That's the narrative that Jesus has for your trial. Let's put on some glasses today and see our struggle through his eyes. Someone else in the Bible that uh, I felt like the Lord put it in my heart to talk about Caleb this morning, and it didn't mean I didn't mean for it to be personal, uh, but uh, here it is. I, I just want to illustrate this point with Caleb in the Bible. There are two narratives to Caleb's story. A narrative of unbelief and a narrative of faith. First, the narrative of unbelief sounds something like this. Caleb, bro, you had faith to go into the promised land. You brought back a good report. But the other ten spies brought back an evil report and the whole nation went with them. And now 
negative 40 years in the wilderness with all those unbelievers. Good luck with that. It really doesn't pay you, bro, to have faith. Because you can go into the, into the promised land, come back with a, with a, a report of faith. You're still going to have to do 40 years in the wilderness with the vipers, with the scorpions, with the fleas, with the dust. You are getting a raw deal, Caleb. Way to go, man of faith. Look where I got you. Your life is going to be stolen from you. You're going to spend from age 40 to age 80 in a flea-infested wilderness. It doesn't pay to serve God. That's the narrative of unbelief on Caleb. But there is another narrative. If you put on faith glasses, the narrative is like this. God goes, Caleb, I love you. (laughs) You're my kind of guy. I love your faith. I love your devotion. I love your passion. I love your holiness. I want to give you a mountain in the promised land. I just love you that much. But Caleb, if I give you a mountain now on this side of the wilderness, that will be a national outcry. The whole nation will complain. Why does Caleb get a mountain? Caleb, I can't handle all that envy. It'll just be too much. It's not going to be good. So, Caleb, here's what we're going to do. Work with me here. Just do 40 years. Just endure for 40 years in the wilderness. All you have to do is endure in faith for 40 years. If you will stay true for the next 40 years, by the time you come through this wilderness, I'll be able to give you a mountain. So Caleb does the 40 years in the wilderness. It takes them five years to conquer the land of Canaan. It's now 45 years later, and Joshua is handing out everybody gets an inheritance. You get a house in a field. You get a house in a field. God bless you, bro. Hey, sis, here's a house in a field. God bless you. House in a field. There you go, bro. It's Caleb's turn. Caleb goes, I don't want a house in a field. I wanted a house in a field 45 years ago. If you think I want today what I wanted 45 years ago, the wilderness changes what you ask for. By the time you have done a scorpion-filled, viper-enhanced, flea 
infested wilderness. By the time you've done 40 years in the wilderness, you are not asking God for what you were asking for 45 years ago. Caleb goes, now I want a mountain. Why does Caleb get a mountain? I only got a house and a field. Actually, nobody complained. Caleb wants a mountain. Because he did the time. In the 40-year wilderness, Caleb is buying authority. He's buying authority with people, and he's buying authority with God. So by the time he comes through that wilderness, he now has the authority with the people and with God to ask for and to take a mountain in the kingdom of God. We need some Caleb's in the body of Christ, Dr. Anthony. We need some men and women in the body of Christ that will do the time, that will take on the wilderness. Somebody says to you, well, the reason you're still in this wilderness is because you don't have enough faith. Listen. Caleb and Joshua were in a 40-year wilderness because of their faith. It was their faith that got them into that 40-year wilderness. It could be that your faith has actually gotten you into this trial. Could it be that because of your faith, the devil has come after you? Could it be that because of your faith, God is calling you to something higher? Could it be that the situation that looks horrible to you is actually coming from the goodness of God? He's going, I'm going to show my goodness in your life. I'm going to take you through a journey. By the time it's over, you're going to have some scars. You're going to take it in the heel, but you will have bloodied the head of your adversary, and you will have authority to ask for and to take an entire mountain in the kingdom of God. So Caleb is richer than anybody else in the whole nation. He's got enough to give to his sons and to his daughter, and the guy has an inheritance because he did the time. Endure in this wilderness. Jesus, change my glasses. Help me to see my wilderness through your eyes so that I might endure through this thing and take my mountain in the grace of God. So we're all, we're all going here today. Okay. I need a change of glasses. Jesus, how are you going to change my glasses? I want to answer that question. One of the ways that God changes our glasses, I want to answer it from the life of David. Our scripture is 
First Samuel 16, verse 13. Until you see this verse, the life of David is locked up for you. It opens with this key. This is the key to the life of David. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. It was a remaining anointing. My friends, there is a remaining anointing in the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit wants to put on our lives. When when the Lord was looking for a metaphor for his anointing, he didn't use water. It doesn't talk about being anointed with water because water evaporates and dissipates quickly. He wants his anointing not to be something that dissipates quickly off our lives. He wants his anointing to be like an oil that stays with you. So when the anointing of the Holy Spirit comes on your life, he wants to come on in such a way that he anoints you and remains upon you and moves on you and changes your glasses. The anointing, the, the, let me say, the remaining anointing of the Holy Spirit is what came on Jesus at his baptism. The, the scripture says that the dove came on Jesus and remained on him. This is what I want. I want the kind of anointing that came on David and the kind of anointing that came on Jesus. I don't want just a little dabble, do you? He comes and then he lifts off. No, I want the dove of the Holy Spirit to come upon my life and remain on my life. That remaining anointing was so life transformational for David. I want to show it to you. The next verse, please. It's in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 17. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for that man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? He's talking about Goliath. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Everybody else looking at Goliath saw a champion, a dread champion of darkness. David looks at this guy and says, an uncircumcised Philistine. David, what kind of glasses do you have on? David's like, well, I don't know, but ever since Samuel did that to me, something's come on me, and I don't see things the way I used to. Now, when I look at a champion of darkness, I don't see a giant. I see an uncircumcised Philistine. Jesus, this is the kind of glasses I need when I'm looking at the challenge, when I'm looking at the mountain, when I'm looking at the impossibility, when I'm looking at the thing in my family that is resisting the will of God. Would you change my glasses so that I can see an uncircumcised Philistine? And they took my verse away. And bring it back, please. And then David goes on to say that he should defy the armies of the living God. When Saul looked at his armies, he got depressed. 
armies of Israel looked at themselves, they got depressed. A bunch of understaffed, under-equipped, under-trained losers. Everybody was depressed about Israel's army. David looks at this group of misfits and calls them the armies of the living God. David, what kind of glasses do you have on? And David's like, well, I'm not sure, but ever since Samuel did that to me, something's come on me, and I don't see things the way I used to see them. Now, when I look at the armies of Israel, I see the armies of the living God. Jesus, would you change my glasses today so that when I look at the church of Jesus Christ, I don't see a bunch of irrelevant, boring, disconnected, separated from society, irrelevant losers. When I look at the church, Jesus, give me glasses to see what you see, the armies of the living God. When you look at your home group, what do you see? The most random group of weird personalities or do you see the armies of the living God when your eyes move across a congregation like this what do your eyes see they come one Sunday out of four can't hardly get a tithe out of them won't volunteer for anything? Or do you see the armies of the living God? Jesus, change my glasses. I want to stop rewriting the narrative. I want to get in faith and see what God is doing in my life, in my family, in my generation. Jesus, I need a new pair of glasses. Help me to see what you are doing. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, he will change your glasses and give you a perspective to see what he is doing in the earth today. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask the worship ministry to come. And uh, I, I just find myself wanting to say to the Lord, you are good. There's another narrative that wants to tell me, oh, serving God isn't working. This thing is really coming down bad. But I want to lift my hands and say to the Lord, you are good. You you have gone before me. You are working in my life. You are fighting for me. This wilderness is actually your kindness in my life. I'm buying authority to take a mountain in my promised land. And by the grace of God, I'm going to endure 
all the way through this wilderness. Lord, I, sometimes all I can feel is what I'm taking in my heel, but I'm asking you to train me in the spirit so that I can lay a blow to the head of my adversary. Jesus, be my Jedi Knight. Take me on as your Padawan learner and teach me to lay a blow to the head of my adversary. I have asked our pastors if I could do something this morning, and they've been very kind. They've said yes to me. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask if our prayer leaders would come to the front and stand here in the front of our sanctuary and get some oil in their hands. We've got some anointing oil up here, and this is what I want to ask. I want to ask them to anoint the eyes of anyone that wants to receive this ministry. The reason we anoint with oil, let me just explain it. The Bible instructs us to anoint with oil because the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And when we anoint people with oil in the name of Jesus, we believe by faith that the Holy Spirit enters into it and does supernatural things in our lives through the grace of anointing with oil because we receive it in faith. If you can't receive it in faith, nothing's going to happen for you. But if you can receive it in faith and say, Holy Spirit, through this prayer, I'm asking you to come and anoint my eyes and change my glasses. My friends here are actually going to anoint your eyes with oil if you desire this ministry and ask for the Spirit of God to change your glasses. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would come with a remaining anointing. Holy Spirit, that you would come in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would come in power, in strength, in might, and give us eyes to see what you are doing. Lord, give us your narrative. Give us eyes of faith to cooperate with you, to endure this wilderness, to take a mountain in the grace of God. Jesus, change my glasses. We believe that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. He's going to change how you see your strength.